Here we go. Whoa, it's Sporting Woods time. Whoa, it's Sporting Woods. If you said cricket was just alright, then you and I will probably have a fight. But if you like sport too, have I got a podcast for you? I think you'll find it sporting woods time. Whoa, sporting woods time. Yes, it is sporting woods time. And as you notice, there's no harmonies to back me up for our new theme song. It's Tim here. Coming at you for a solo episode um, of Sporting Woods this week. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Um, there's so much going on in sport. Um, we're also going to talk about the footy um, and do a little bit of an origin preview. So yeah, let's just get straight into it. We'll start, we'll start with the OG. We'll go um, into the cricket first. and Unfortunately, it hasn't been... Um, that close, really. Uh, a lot of the games so far. Um, the ICC brought the competition down to 10 teams to really eliminate these sort of one-sided contests that we've seen in World Cups past, but it's, it's almost done the opposite. And I think a lot of it has to do with poor timing and, and the fact that some teams are really down at the moment. The main two really being Sri Lanka and, uh, Pakistan. And I mean, Sri Lanka were just poor against New Zealand, but that pitch that they were playing on was just an absolute green deck, and it suits. It's going to suit the New Zealand bowlers. So people would argue that oh, it was so green. You know, it would have been so hard to bat on. Well, New Zealand got the runs, uh, no wickets down after what thirteen overs or something ridiculous. So yes, it was green, but it was also easy enough for them to bat on uh, once they did get Sri Lanka all out. And as for Pakistan, I mean, they just can't play the short ball. That's their problem. I can't. I don't know how many wickets, but it would have been at least four were off uh, short ball deliveries. But you know, having said that, West Indies actually played really well, and Andre Russell was bringing the heat with the ball. Got lots of lift off that pitch and really, really caused dramas for the uh, Pakistani batsmen. And Chris da- Chris Gow's still doing his thing, scoring runs. Um. Now they they look pretty dangerous when they're on song. If they do, they may not have that depth. The other countries do if, if an injury does go down. So um, we'll see what happens. But um, yeah, there's they're someone, a, a team, another disappointing team has been South Africa. Now they've lost twice now and both games they were comprehensively beaten. Yes, England were and still are the tournament favourites, but um, they'll really be reassessing that uh, decision to bat, uh, decision to sorry bowl first uh, against Bangladesh. That pitch, it's a small ground, and the pitch looked in pretty good nick. And Bangladesh took advantage. They batted really, really well. Yes, there was an injury to uh, Nagindi, I think, for South Africa, but they just weren't able to take any wickets through that middle period there and that really cost them there was a really good partnership there in the middle overs 
Um, I think both both batsmen ended up getting 70s and 80s, so they were able to set that platform for for a big finish, and they ended up getting 330, which I believe is Bangladesh's highest ever score in one day cricket. Um, so yeah, South Africa. I mean, they've already lost, they've lost two of their first two games. They can only really afford to lose one more. Um, if they lose any more than that, then they're really going to have to get results to go other results to go their way just to make the semi-finals. So, uh, disappointing start for South Africa, but it does continue their uh, well-noted history and uh, disappointing during World Cup. If you look at the Aussies. I think they'll be disappointed to to let Afghanistan get above 200, especially starting with uh, two wickets in the first two overs. Uh, Mitchell Stark bowled pretty well, particularly early on. He just tried to pitch it up and, and get those wickets that he's known to get uh, early on in in the one-day arena. Adam Zampa got hit around a bit. I think one over went for like 22 or 24 or something like that. But if you go back and, you know, really analyze all the wickets uh, that fell for Afghanistan, they're all soft, or every single dismissal is soft. So you could look at that two ways, and as far as Afghanistan, I'd look at that as a positive with some consolation moving forward. They ended up getting 200, and they did throw the bat around, but there were a lot of soft dismissals where they, if they decided to knuckle down, they probably could have batted out their 50 overs and, and put a semi-competitive score on the board. Uh, 250 just uh, 200 just wasn't enough for them uh, to defend. From a batting perspective for the Aussies, uh, Warner and Finch did look good at, at the top of the order, so I think they'll stick with that throughout the competition. Um, and I think Steve Smith will be quite disappointed in himself getting out. The way that he did with three runs left, that was pretty soft uh, in itself. But both uh, Australia West Indies heading into their matchup later this week going to be uh, an entertaining game to say the least uh, so I think Australia will still go in as favourites but West Indies will definitely back themselves moving forward in that game and for the rest of the tournament so enough about cricket we'll keep keep this train rolling uh, shout out to Benny G uh, for uh, Liverpool beating Tottenham 2-0 in the Champions League final over there in Madrid uh, Mo Salah scored controversial penalty for a handball in the second minute. I'm not going to sit here and claim that I'm an expert on soccer or football, but kind of hit him in the armpit, but he did have his arm out flailing around, so I think that's why I got the penalty. Tottenham fans don't email in. <laughs> if it's not supposed to be a penalty, I don't know. It looked like a penalty to me just because his arm was out, but who am I to know? I mean, overall, it wasn't like the highest quality of games, but like, tell that to Liverpool and Tottenham fans. Uh, they don't care. I think they're just happy to be there because both really deserve to be in the final after their matchups uh, in the semifinals. Both came back from miraculous uh, points. Liverpool scoring four at home against Barcelona and Tottenham with the last minute goal against Ajax to put them through as well. So, uh, tremendous achievement and Liverpool fans having one of their greatest ever Premier League seasons and coming away without the trophy will certainly be happy with uh, the Champions League instead. Interesting little tidbit for rugby league fans out there. West Tigers own Robbie Farah was given tickets to the Champions League final in Madrid from none other than 
Liverpool legend, Steven Gerrard. Now, I've never, ever in my life heard of something this ridiculous where a player gets given the blessing from the coach and the coach being someone like Michael Maguire, of all coaches, gave him the blessing to go over to Madrid on the bye week to watch the Champions League final live and then come back and play the following week. Now, the problem is the Tigers, they play on Friday night. So if he's not on the plane by the time you're listening to this, he's obviously not going to play on Friday night against the Raiders. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love Robbie. But what type of shape is he going to be in? They they won the Champions League. Do you think he's just going to have a couple of waters? I certainly wouldn't be if I was a diehard Liverpool fan. So we'll have to wait and see. I don't I don't think I've ever heard of anything like this happening before, particularly on such a short turnaround. And you know what? It was just lucky that it was a bye week as well. You know, I suppose it all just added up for him to do it. And yeah, he's an older player, but like, in the middle of the season, bruh. Uh, I don't know. Moving on to the NBA playoffs. Toronto took a 1-0 one, one lead at home against Golden State. Close game. Um, but I think the thing that tipped it over the edge was, was just the crowd. I mean, go back and watch the game. And as I record here uh, Monday morning, uh, the Raptors will be looking to take a 2-0 lead in their, in their game on Monday. Yeah, the crowd. I mean, they're definitely providing that home court advantage. And it's good to see the team and, the, I mean, the whole country of Canada really get behind them. Um, it's their first finals trip since their inception in 1995. Kawhi Leonard just continues continues to play out of his skin. And we mentioned it uh, earlier a couple of weeks back that the key for them is is to get the help from his sidekicks per se, you know, your Kyle Lowry's, your Van Fleet, uh, Siakam, Gasol, those sorts of guys, if they're helping out, um, it makes it really hard for the Warriors to defend. They can try and go to double-team Kawhi, but if if Lowry keep, and Van Fleet in particular keep hitting threes, uh, you know, wide-open threes from the double-team, uh, off the double-teams from Kawhi, it's going to be hard for Golden State, particularly in Toronto. Another another kind of part of this whole setup, and it's the whole theory about having the super teams, is if they get injured, you're really going to have to rely on depth of essentially no-name players, um, which is something <laughs> Golden State's finding out a whole lot about in this final series. They're really, they are really having to rely on those no-names uh, to get them through those minutes um, to give rest to Curry, Thompson, and Green, who are playing big minutes in the absence of Kevin Durant and DeMarcus Cousins, both of which their outlooks remain uncertain, not only for the remainder of the finals, but uh, moving forward into next season. Another unfortunate thing for us Aussies is we won't be seeing much of Andrew Bogut. Um, he won't be getting as many minutes than in the previous series, and it just looks like it's a matchup thing rather than uh, quality or anything like that, and let's be real, he was never there to play more than sort of 10 minutes a game. It was just a backup if Cousins goes down, which he has. 
there's a lot of a lot of pressure on the shoulders of those original big three uh, for the Warriors. The only positive, or one positive for them is they've done this before. Uh, in fact, they've done it four times before. Uh, this is their fifth consecutive trip to the finals. Uh, so they'll know um, how to get through it. Game two is kind of a must win for them as well because I think the stat is uh, teams that go up 2-0 in the NBA finals uh, win close to 90% of the series. So they'll have to really step up uh, in game two. Um, to try and buck that trend uh, in finals history. Another thing that uh, went down over the weekend was one of the greatest upsets in boxing history. Um, Andy Ruiz, relative unknown, the Mexican, has come away with a a TKO against uh, the previously undefeated Anthony Joshua for the world heavyweight title. Now, this has gone down as one of the biggest um, upsets in boxing history. Probably the only bigger one, maybe uh, Mike Tyson losing to uh, Buster Douglas in the in the early nineties there. But I mean, I didn't watch the fight. I'll be honest, but the highlights are thoroughly entertaining. I mean, go back and watch the third round. It was just absolute madness. Uh, Joshua knocked down twice after uh, he knocked down Ruiz um, earlier on in the round, and they're just throwing fucking haymakers, man. Like, Ruiz was just going crazy. I don't just, just think Joshua couldn't keep up with being hit so consistently. And it's something he's never really experienced because he is that superior athlete. He's, you know, he has the height advantage, he has the reach advantage, he has the fitness advantage. But as we saw, he just couldn't, couldn't take the blows that he was getting, uh, that he was taking. And Ruiz comes away with the, Unbelievable victory. One of the greatest upsets in boxing history. And uh, the reason I bring it up is that the Drake curse has returned. Or it strikes again. I, I, I don't know if the Drake curse has been defeated, to be honest. I think it remains undefeated. But uh, once, once the fight finished, all the memes started again. Um, because Joshua uh, came out before the fight and posted a photo on Twitter, I think, with Drake saying that'll break the Drake curse. And of course, it backfired and, and the memes and social media had a field day. One of his rivals, Dante Fowler, came out and took some pod shots. Uh, here's some stuff from Twitter that he said. He said, he wasn't a true champion. His whole career is a lie. Now we know who was running from who. And that's one of the criticisms about Joshua is that he likes to pick and choose, and that's something that you can do in boxing for the most part, uh, whereas you can't really do that in UFC. They, they really put you up against people that are, you know, are well-matched and all that sort of stuff, and, and it's just backfired on him. Um, but there'll definitely be a rematch. I can't see why there wouldn't be. So there's something for Joshua to get redemption, I suppose. But it's going to be hard for him to recover from this because this was his big first, uh, trip to the States, big, big money. And to be upset by such a lowly ranked outsider uh, on the biggest stage in Madison Square Garden uh, is going to be pretty tough to come back from. Uh, one last thing uh, with the French Open. Um, the Barty Party, Ash Barty, continues to roll uh, through uh, the opening rounds of the French Open. And, and with the exits of Serena Williams and Naomi Osaka, uh, her side of the draw really opens up. So. Uh, I think the whole country should get behind her. Uh, it's been a relatively 
uh, unspoken about thing uh, in the in the world of sport, just because there's so much going on at the moment with Origin, which we'll get to. So there's the, the opportunities there for her um, now that the her side of the draw is wide open. So uh, get behind the Barty party. All right, into the footy. There's only four games this round, and you know, it kind of brings up that discussion of what should happen while Origin is on. Now, the NRL seems ad- adamant that they don't want to have this this massive break, like a, what do they call it in rugby union? I think they just call it the international break. But they don't want to have this break from the competition. And part of the argument they use is that, oh, it'll slow down the momentum of some club teams and blah, 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 this and that. But with the addition of the standalone weekend for Origin 2, which is now in its second year, I think it's time that we have that discussion again. Because if they want to use the momentum argument, look no further than Friday night's game between South and Parramatta. South have only lost one game this year and were forced to play against a near full-strength Parramatta, while Cook, Gagai, Murray and Walker were all out on origin duty. Now granted, South remain second on the ladder and still have the round 16 bye week in hand. But at full strength, no one could argue they would have been heavily favoured to win that game by a significant margin. It has the potential to impact on seedings for the finals, which, in my opinion, brings the integrity of the game into question. So it's all well and good to sit there and bash the system, but if you've got a complaint about the competition, for me, you need to have an answer. You can't just sit there and say, oh, oh, it's shit and everything's wrong. Well, what have you got? What's your suggestion? My suggestion's pretty simple. Have the Origin Series on three consecutive weekends. Sunday nights, which is the highest rating slot of the week in television. So TV will get their, their money. The advertisers will get their money. Corporate sponsors will get their money. And then I would have a full week off after the third Origin game so that all teams can, you know, recoup and get their stars back from representative duty. Some of you out there are probably thinking, well, Tim, we can't just have three games of rugby league over three weeks. Well, to that I say, let's play the Pacific Island test over that time as well. Bring in New Zealand, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, PNG. You can essentially have a round robin on the Saturdays before the Origins on the Sundays. It doesn't have to be at the same venue. Um, but just something to think about. I mean, this has potential to bring those teams closer together by playing more games throughout the year and developing uh, heavier rivalries, bringing up the quality of those games. Because it's all about bridging that gap or closing that gap between those Tier 1 and other Tier 2, Tier 3, whatever tier they are, nations. And I mean, the players would still want to play for their countries. I mean, look at the pride shown in the Tonga jersey at the moment. Uh, Fafida, Taumalolo, uh, Tavita Bangai Jr. I mean, they're, go- then they're going to play. They're going to show up. And you know who else will be showing up? The crowds. You can't tell me that Tonga versus Samoa wouldn't bring in more money and more crowds than a Bulldogs versus Canberra game on a Saturday night in Sydney missing Origin Stars. No one can make that argument for me. And during those weeks, you can also have the under-18s origin, the 
women's origin series you can actually have as more of a main event instead of a sidebar. You know, the Queensland residents versus New South Wales residents side. All those games can be played during that time. Have like a designated time for those sorts of representative games during the middle of the season. And I mean, it leads, uh, it, it all leads to a bigger point for me that the competition overall is too long. And if we look to expand to Perth and then that second Brisbane slash Ipswich team, it's going to be a greater discrepancy between scheduling games, particularly if, if teams have more origin players and they continue to play origin games throughout those weeks. So it's something that NRL does have to prioritize in the coming years, especially if they want to expand the competition to 18 teams. So that's my little editorial of the origin period and what they should do with that. Let's get into a couple of recaps of the games. So starting with Penrith and Manly, I mean, literally nothing home to write about this one. Penrith weren't convincing at all against the heavily understrength Manly side, but it's their second win in a row, and it could spark them uh, into some form over the origin period. While they look scrappy, they'll take any win at this stage. And while Manly didn't score for 70 minutes, they almost stole it at the end themselves. So it was a bit of a nothing game, to be brutally honest, but Penrith will probably look at this game and, and try and take some positives and, and build some you know, momentum. Overall, the fact that this is a nothing game really takes me back to my point over what we should do over the origin period. Uh, moving on to Parramatta vs. South, and this is the first time I think I've ever agreed with anything uh, Gus Gould has ever said. So he came out after the game on Friday and he said, well, Parra win. I mean, there's nothing to get excited about. Um, since their big win against the Tigers to open up Wankbest, uh, the new stadium out there, they've given up some big scores themselves. And, I mean, the loss to Penrith last week is more of an indication of how they're traveling rather than a victory on, uh, over a heavily understrength South uh, last Friday night. For South, I mean, they're just going to write this one off, lick their wounds, move on to next week relatively unscathed. Uh, like I said, they're still second on the ladder. Um, they do have the bye week in hand. They're probably expecting this. So um, they'll, just, <laughs> they'll just continue to, to, to roll on. Um, and I doubt Uncle Wayne will have much to say about this game during the week as the team prepares for next week. So moving on to the Saturday, Saturday night's game uh, between the Bulldogs and Canberra. I mean, yes, another snooze fest. What a fucking shock. A um, couple of talking points, though. I mean, the return of John Bateman only four weeks after fracturing his eye socket. Uh, nobody saw that one coming. And really, it's nothing short of it. Uh, astounding how someone can come back so quickly after such a traumatic injury. Sam, Sammy Burgess on, on the Fox Sports panel on the Saturday night there. Uh, he went on, he, he was describing just how tough it was uh, to come back from that injury. I mean, we all remember uh, Sam fracturing his eye socket in the opening tackle of the 2014 grand final, which has kind of gone down in folklore. Listening to him sort of describe uh, the comeback and also the, the ability to have to put your head uh, in those positions to tackle and, and be prepared for collisions and stuff like that. Um, the, you know, the mental side of it more than anything um, just, shows, just shows how tough uh, Bateman is and, 
and you know his BDE to get through such a such a painful injury and come back to help out his team. Uh, there's, there's literally nothing that can be said from the actual football uh, perspective for both teams. Um, both were shocking um, and couldn't really offer anything in, in attack. But uh, the big story was the uh, alleged eye gouge from uh, young Hudson Young from Canberra. Now, he's been hit with a seven-week ban. And admittedly, I didn't really... I watched the game, but I didn't even notice it, to be honest. And it, not that it was played down. It was more like, well, it shouldn't be part of the game was kind of the, the line that the commentators were taking. But uh, to come, away, to come um, from the judiciary with a seven-week ban is quite heavy. And, and I'm for that as well because it wasn't really your typical eye gouge. You know, you think of eye gouge, you think of someone like poking fingers in your eye and, and kind of ripping them out. It was. He was more, he was kind of like forcing his, his fists and his knuckles just sort of into the forehead of Tolman, but kind of slipped down into his eye area, and that was really putting pressure on the eye. And uh, Again, Burgess on the, on the Fox Sports panel was quite open about it, and he said uh, that, that he did the same thing to, uh, uh, sorry, Hudson Young did the same thing to him a couple of weeks ago um, in the South Canberra game. For me, it's just, it's just useless niggle from a bloke he doesn't need to be doing that. You know, he's been playing really well since Ricky brought him into first grade. And now he's put Canberra in a weird spot because they're really going to have to test, test their depth. Canberra aren't going too great after their, uh, after the starting the season so well. So it's a little bit of a setback for them as they continue to slide. And while they did get the victory against the Dogs, it wasn't really convincing. But they do have an opportunity to get a solid win against the Tigers. On Friday night. So the last game uh, over the weekend was the Gold Coast and the Cowboys. And the Cowboys are this week. Oh, sorry. Not the Cowboys. No, no. The Gold Coast are this week's Limp Dick Team of the Week. And there's some real problems going, going on at the Gold Coast. And uh, I don't know how they're going to get themselves out of it. I mean, the Titans had three opportunities in the last 10 minutes to either tie it up with two penalty goals or win the game with a try in the corner, but they blew all three opportunities. Um, highlighted by uh, the incident between Tyron Roberts and Ash Taylor taking um, that second penalty goal after Kurt Baptiste's uh, nasty tackle on Tyron Roberts uh, in the air after he put up a bomb. Now, Taylor missed that first penalty goal, and he really should have stepped up and taken responsibility. A lot was said on the commentary, and a lot has been said all year about, you know, he's a million-dollar man, and he's been out of form, and this was his opportunity to, to take the reins and, and, you know, put on a play for his team to rally, rally behind him and stuff like that. But Roberts just straight up took the ball off him and attempted the goal himself. Now, as a star player... Ash Taylor just handing handing the ball over so easily when he could have, you know, dug his heels in and said, "No, let me kick it and and you know take take the responsibility and and give that BDE moment." But Roberts wasn't having a bar of it, and and Taylor just let it go really easily, and that's really disappointing for someone who's supposed to be that big name, big time player. 
that's been heavily touted since he was a junior. And of course, Roberts missed a kick because he just got injured in the play before, having his legs taken out. So, I mean, while they did have a last-second attempt to score a try in the corner, I mean, that, that play or that game was really decided by that decision right there. And it shows a lot about the Titans as, as a team and as an organization where they don't even have trust in their million-dollar man. I don't know what's going to happen on the coast. Now, one thing that was interesting from this game is, is I like to talk about how completion rates determine the outcome of matches. And generally, if you win, if you win the completion rate, or if you complete over 85% of your set, um, you go a long way to winning the game. But the problem is, this is one of those rare games where both teams completed over 85% of their set. Um, and for each team, only, you know, for the score, sorry, to be 6-4, um, just goes to show how broken the Titans' attack is. The Cowboys can be excused. I mean, they've got Asiata playing 6, but overall, they're still looking for answers in attack as well. So... I don't really know um, what to say about all of that. It was just one of those rare oddities, I suppose, in rugby league. Now, because we have no Benny G, I'm not going to give too much of a fantasy feedback just because it is super important after the buys. Um, but he has reminded me of those that big trade week coming up where you will get five trades, and I think it's between weeks 14 and 16. Um, now. We'll move very quickly to the scores. So we'll start uh, with me. The GCGs uh, took a 70-point loss to uh, the Stingers, 804 to 734. Now, shout-out to Jimmy because he texted me last night making sure I brought up his uh, emphatic 40-point uh, victory um, over up to my nuts against Dano there. Uh, so that's two in a row for him, so he claims to be back on track. But he ended up with the third lowest score of the week in our league. Uh, so, you know, there's still there's still problems there, Jimmy. Don't get too ahead of yourself. Uh, the Revolution picked up a very convincing win against Pubidu. Um The basket straight-ins also with a comprehensive win over Joe's Guns. Uh, and Polo's Del Sombrero gets his bye week victory that he was complaining about last week, um, 8.30 to 1.46. So Jimmy's Jets, definitely the bye week in our competition. Um, moving over to the NRL Fantasy, which, again, I don't even look at. Um, I don't know why anyone plays it. Like, I just don't get it. Like, <laughs> how much else I can say about it? All right, so recapping the scores of the fantasy. Oh, bit of movement here. Oh, I like it. Cameron Cosmo is still on top there, Lukey. Uh, 101.98, but closely followed by Benny G's Revolution winning the round this week and climbing into second position, 101.82. Poobadoo has fallen off in both uh, fantasy and and Supercoach, uh, 101.71, and there's now a genuine break um, of the top three to fourth, Polos Del Sombrero. Uh, Easter win, and then, uh, I mean, it falls off even more after that, so it really is a race in three. Um, shout out to that Sam bloke, um, second lowest score, um, the former mayor, myself, 
ended up losing the round there. All right, over to the tipping. I don't think there's too much movement going on there, but we have a new leader. Uh, so we'll start again, as always, from the bottom. Uh, the new cat and Shalimar, Mickey Free, uh, down there on 54. Uh, I'm on 58 after winning the round, or no, coming second in the round. Polo's Del Sombrero on 64 with Vilkins. Uh, so Vilkins has really fallen off, uh, even though he's used two of his jokers. Um, Katie there on 66 in fourth place. Uh, only down by margin to uh, Dogs of War, Dano, uh, in third place on 66. Jess, you're slipping. Uh, down to second place after a couple of weeks on top there on 67 points. And leading the competition at the moment is JT. Uh, with three points so far this round, uh, origin counts in this round, so we won't know the full scores until after that. But JT currently leading on 68 points. Now, I don't know if he's had two or three jokers. I think it might only be... Oh, I think it might be three, actually, so who knows. Um, but Jess definitely only has used one, uh, and I think um, myself and Mickey Free down the bottom there are yet to use a joker. Now. Move on to everyone's favorite segment, the Sweezies. Now, again, being being uh, being uh, you know sort of a half round, it was it wasn't as easy as other rounds to um, come up with a three, two, one. But um, I did want to give special mention to this person uh, for one point, Connor Tracy. Now, this is a young kid uh, for South, and he's had multiple. ACL injuries and, you know, being basically was told, you know, he'll never play rugby league or he'll never make it to first grade if he keeps getting injured and, you know, is his time up and, you know, has he missed his opportunity and all that sort of stuff and, and the mental side of the recovery from multiple injuries, multiple of the same injuries and the length that it takes to come back from those ACL injuries themselves. Uh, for him to, to come on and absolutely uh, blitz it and have a blinder for South uh, despite, you know, being on the losing side, uh, is a true inspiration to those young people out there who, who do have, who do suffer those injuries and, and think that their time's up and, and, uh, you know, to have the onions and, and the balls and the persistence to just, uh, continue to, to keep rolling with the punches and, and wait for, wait patiently for your opportunity. Um, the true testament to his character. So, uh, he gets one point for his performance against Parramatta on Friday night. Uh, two points. Now, I mentioned it already uh, with a little subtle hint, but John Bateman, I mean, to come back from a fractured eye socket, uh, again, the onions on the bloke to come back from such an injury, uh, you can't leave him out. And, you know, he, while he didn't have a spectacular game, he was solid and did what he needed to do. So um, he's a big, big plus for... Canberra, like I said, they haven't been uh, in the best of form since he's been injured, and you know I think you can correlate the two with him being out. They haven't performed as well, so having him back's a big boost for them, um, especially losing Hodgson, um, and they're also their depth's going to be tested now with Hudson Young, so that alleviates uh, some of the pressure from them. And the three points now, I don't know if everyone saw this because the game was pretty boring, but it did get close in the last couple of minutes. 
Three points this week for the BDE moment or Sweezy's, whatever you want to call it. Kyle felt with his cover tackle in the last second, and by the last second, I literally mean the last second, to come in and put his body on the line against, I think it was Albert Kelly, uh, who, I mean, he fucked it up. I mean, he should have really passed it, and that would have been in, in the corner, but uh, the pass was a little bit behind him, and, and but you still, I mean, it's professional rugby league. You should have scored that try. Um, Kyle Felt just was able to to hold him up, twist him around, uh, get the get the ball uh, loose, and uh, come up with the try saving tackle and the game saving tackle for his team. Uh, body on the line. Um, it was literally the only uh, exciting moment of the whole weekend. Um, and to come up with that play, he gets the three points for the Sweezies this week. All right, so. Moving forward into a quick preview of Wednesday night. Now, I cannot remember a weirder origin preparation. Now, there's been some times where there's been a lot of mental, uh, you know, jabs here and there, but uh, I just, I, I mean, I can't even put words to what's happened, what's gone on this week. Uh, Kevy Wald is hiring this coach whisperer guru, paying him six grand an hour. Basically, all he did was say, "Don't you know? Focus on your own performance and, and believe that you're going to win, and and you know it will come into fruition." But like, come on, like not being able to say New South Wales. I mean, like, how ridiculous is that? Uh, Cam, uh, sorry, uh, on NRL three sixty uh, last week, um, they had Cam Munster on, and um, it. It was the it was the evening after it all came out that they can't say New South Wales and the Blues and mention the color. I mean, come on, uh, you know they get fined and all that sort of bullshit. Anyway, he did slip up and I couldn't help but laugh because I I don't think as much as I love Cam Munster, I don't think he's the smartest uh, bloke in the world. And uh, he did he did end up correcting himself, saying the other state uh, later on when he was asked about New South Wales. Um, but, like, if they're spending all that time and energy focusing on not saying New South Wales, I mean, how much time and energy are they spent actually focusing on their own performance? So I kind of think it's like a juxtaposition or like a double entendre or whatever you want to call it. Um, for New South Wales, I mean, they're fucking walking on grass to get in the minerals into their feet. They hired some breathing expert to help them breathe underwater. I mean, like, it's just like anything that, Anything that they believe will think will give them a competitive advantage, they're now doing. And, like, I kind of get it because, like, Fiddler's a bit of a, not weirdo, but just, just a eccentric, because I think it's probably a better word. So it kind of fits into what, what he believes in. And, it, and it, I mean, it proved that it worked last year because you really brought that team together and, and it felt like they'd been playing together for five years, kind of like what the Queenslanders, um, you know, their, all their combinations are worked out during their decade of dominance. So, I mean, Philly could be excused, but Kevin Walters isn't that guy. You know what I mean? He's not that guy that that fucking gets the minerals out and brings in this coaching guru and, and all this sort of shit. Like, he's he's that tough, mentally tough guy who um, really wants to see uh, you know, the players step up rather than being that sort of players coach like like Brad Fittler is. Um, so I mean what what conclusions do you draw from that? Well for me, it shows that Kevy Walters is under the pump. 
And he saw that uh, last year where uh, he saw that last year how Freddie really brought that team together and he is trying to do the same thing in the hope that it will work for them. Um, and again, it leads me to my point of like, you know, this guru only thinking, making them try and think about their own performance. Well, I mean, it shows that they're thinking too much about what New South Wales are doing, to be honest, uh, bringing in a bloke like that. To have to tell them to only focus on your own performance, I think speaks volumes as to the mental state of Queensland Rugby League and Kevin Walters as a whole. Um, now, Kevy's also, you know, there's there's multiple layers to this, and Kevy's um, missed out on the Broncos coaching gig for Anthony Seabold. Um, and he, you know, after allegedly being the heir apparent to uh, Wayne Bennett after his uh, contract expired, and we all know how that worked out. Um, and he is trying to find himself a, a, um, a gig as a week-to-week um, NRL rugby league coach. So, um for him to come up with a couple of series losses uh, will really impact um, his chances of, of obtaining a, a uh, role as an NRL head coach. Um, so that's one factor um, that I think is kind of going unnoticed. For me, if we talk about the footy specifically, I think, I think the big matchup is the, the props, the, the big forwards. Now, Papali has actually been playing really well for, during the season for Canberra. Um, but he comes up against David Clemmer and Paul Vaughan, who are both in, in really, really good form. Uh, Clemmer in particular, a lot of, um, you know, focus has been on Mitchell Pearce and Caelan Ponga as, New, as Newcastle start to uh, roll with five consecutive victories. But I think a lot of it has to come from the fact that Clemmer just continues to make yards and um, keeps winning the, winning the ruck. Um, that's something that Queensland's really going to have to focus on uh, in game one, and the the depth of the forwards for me, uh, offhand Galway coming uh, coming off the bench to really you know match up against like a faster forward like Cam Murray and stuff like that. That's going to be uh, where the game could be won and lost in those middle minutes. Um, the addition of Moses Embai for Queensland is an interesting one. I mean, I, I rooted for him. Not only for a Tigers fan, but just the fact that he can play multiple positions. Um, and Queensland have used that in the past. I mean, when Cooper Cronk was waiting for Lockyer to retire, he was the 14 where he'd kind of play like a lock roving hooker. Um, we also have seen Daly Cherry Evans in that position. We've also seen Michael Morgan. And uh, recently, we've also seen Ben Hunt. So it's kind of like Embi's turn to play that position. But he, out of all those players, I think he'd be the smallest. Uh, so I don't know how his body's really going to hold up to the rigors of origin. So I think when that when he comes on, they might really target him. Oh, New South Wales might really target him uh, there. Um, for me, uh, again, it comes down to the props, but I think New South Wales will eventually just have, have the speed, have the pace, have that X factor um, that'll really uh, be the difference. Uh, particularly uh, in this first game. There's a lot of new combinations for both sides, but I just think that New South Wales has that edge now, uh, which is something that's so weird for a Queenslander supporter to say because we always had that uh, during that magical run. Um, but if you look at the betting markets, I mean, it's, it's getting pretty close. Uh, a lot of money late for Queensland, and I think uh, they'll continue to get money late, but I just can't see, can't see them winning. Um, 
Papali would have to go very close to be man of the match for Queensland to win this game. Or even Jai Arrow. Uh, you know, he's he's been moved into the prop position um, and he's under a little bit of an injury cloud with a quad strain. Uh, so, you know, I think I think if Queensland do win and if you want to have a little flutter, I think Papali would be a pretty good option there because um, he's really going to have to be that that forward leader. Uh, it's a role he's not really familiar with either. So um, it'll be really interesting to see how uh, he holds up. But yeah, I just think New South Wales have too much talent, too much speed, uh, too much pace, not only um, the outside backs, but also in the middle and in and around the ruck. So that's pretty much it from me. Um, I don't really have too much else to say. Uh, I'm really looking forward to to Wednesday night. Um, hopefully the Queensland crowd show up. I mean, I was looking at tickets over the weekend and there was still some available, but uh, I checked again uh, Sunday night and they um, have really gone down to sort of single allocated. So I don't know if we'll actually get a sellout um, in Queen, in uh, at Suncorp. So it might be a bit of a disappointing crowd, but I think uh, more than ever as a Queensland supporter, we really need to rally behind this team because uh, it could get out of hand pretty quickly um, and turn into New South Wales' own decade of dominance themselves. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we'll talk again about the World Cup. We'll recap our origin and, and the week of footy um, and everything else that um, is happening in the world of sports. So thank you very much for your time, and we'll see you next week. Bye for now. And then make like a bye 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 bye